Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal, editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. It's often said that you don't know what you don't know. And that's because we all have blinders on that limit our perspective and our ability to see the reality of our world and beyond for what it really is. But if we can figure out how to change the lens that we're looking through, it can open entirely new vistas and opportunities from big picture things like a greater understanding of our universe to more practical things like helping businesses more effectively provide services to clients. With me today to discuss this is Dr. Joe Giami, observatory head at the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, better known as LIGO, arguably one of the most exciting and best kept secrets in Louisiana. LIGO is located in remote Livingston Parish and is a research facility that was designed to open the field of gravitational wave astrophysics through the detection of gravitational waves, which, as you may or may not remember, was predicted by Einstein's theory of relativity. LIGO's massive and super sophisticated equipment is able to detect cosmic gravitational waves and to develop gravitational wave observations as an astronomical tool. It's one of just two such facilities in the country and is tied in with two research centers in California and at MIT. And they are unlocking the secrets of our universe, literally. In 2015, LIGO researchers made international headlines when they did, in fact, discover gravitational waves generated by a colliding pair of black holes some 1.3 billion light years away, a discovery that earned them a Nobel Prize. Joe is also a professor of physics and astronomy at LSU. Joe, it is so exciting, all the cool things y'all have going on there. Thanks so much for joining us today on Out to Lunch to talk about it. My pleasure. With me and Joe is Connor LeBlanc, a budding young entrepreneur and co-owner and CEO of Project Zenith 360, a Baton Rouge-based startup that provides immersive content services to its clients. Immersive content refers to any type of digital content that allows users to change their frame of view and to see things from a 360-degree or panoramic perspective, a three-dimensional one, or even an interactive one. You may have used some of these technologies in not even realized it. Connor's company is developing all sorts of applications for this technology in healthcare, hospitality, and real estate sectors, just to name a few. Connor and his co-owners founded the company in 2019, shortly after they all graduated from LSU and shortly before the COVID-19 pandemic, which changed everything and for them created all sorts of new opportunities. Connor, it's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Joe, I want to start out with you because, you know, I mean, LIGO is such a neat story. So many people don't know about it. And I guess the big question is why Livingston Parish? How did how did it get to be here? Was this going back to the days when we had really powerful senators in Congress? That, that's one of the we, we've been asked a lot of questions since the discovery. And, and that's 
at least in Louisiana, that's one of the one of the first that we always get. So I apologize if my answer sounds practiced. You know, there are a lot of reasons why LIGO is here. When when the National Science Foundation decided to build LIGO um, um, after a proposal from MIT and Caltech in, in 89, they decided to build it. Um, uh, they, they went out to bid, essentially, or they, they asked for proposals from, from locales around the country. And, um, and Louisiana, Louisiana's proposal was put together by a pre-existing gravitation wave group at LSU, led by Bill Hamilton, um, plus the Livingston Economic Development Council and State Economic Development. So they kind of got all together. It's an odd couple, isn't it? But the physics professors and economic development. Um, and so they put in a proposal. And there were lots of proposals from all over the country. But the key is that the two observatories that they were building had to be far apart. They both had to be rural and quiet. Um, and they both had to be, um, the land had to be available um, and, and essentially and cheap. And so Louisiana's proposal went in. Um, LSU promised to hire two assistant professors. The, the, the state provided land with uh, to, money to buy the land that we're on now. That land's now owned by LSU and leased to the National Science Foundation. The two assistant professors, um, there's a number, it's hard to know exactly how promises are kept, but I'd like to think of them as myself and Gabrielle Gonzalez. Um, she, she's a, um, she was the elected spokesperson for the entire thousand plus member collaboration when the discovery happened. Um, and, and so she, and she's now a Boyd professor at LSU. Um, and so the two of us kind of came with the package um, and, and uh, neither of us left. And, and, um, and so that's how it came to come here. Um, we won a competition. Wow. That is, that is an impressive story. And, and, and I want to understand about what y'all do, but, but um, Connor, I want to bring you into the conversation a little bit. You are an LSU graduate and, and you're helping us understand the world in different ways too. When we talk about immersive content, what exactly do we mean, Connor? So immersive content is kind of a tricky term nowadays. Um, it can mean a bunch of different things, but for us, uh, what we really refer to is 360 degree photos and videos. Um, whenever a lot of people think about VR, AR, MR, kind of like the headsets and the next generation immersive content consumption devices, a lot of people think of video games. Um, a lot of the people getting into this area have traditionally been video game developers, people that understand how to create simulated virtual environments. But that could be really time consuming and expensive to make from the ground up to make these virtual worlds. And so what we understand is being able to go in with these different 360 cameras, um, kind of like the one I have right here and other 360 cameras, you're able to capture basically the entire environment as it exists in a panoramic 360 format. And, um, and that cuts down a lot of the costs associated with creating these immersive environments. And our primary service is actually creating virtual tours. So what we're able to do is we're able to go in, take a bunch of immersive content um, throughout an area, and then we can put it into a piece of software and then link all those different uh, panoramic photos together, which basically creates a virtual environment that is photorealistic. And that is exactly how it exists in the real world. And that also extends to video. Um, that also extends to different things like LIDAR. So you're able to get spatial data using um, lasers and different things like that. So, you know, this is just the beginning stages of where this technology is, but, uh, but we're convinced that it is probably going to change the way in which we, we all interact with the content that we consume. 
So interesting. Okay. Um, Joe, back to you, because um, what you all are, are using and the equipment that you have at LIGO is it, it, you're not using telescopes, correct? You're not looking out into space like like you would for stars. Is, is that correct? Yeah, so, so gravitational waves um, are not electromagnetic waves. They're not radio waves or, 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 or light waves or other things like that. Um, it's a completely different phenomenon predicted a, a, about 100 years before we discovered it by Albert Einstein. And, but it's very difficult to measure them. Um, and it's very difficult to emit them. So to emit them, you need star-sized things flying around each other. As you mentioned, the discovery was of two black holes merging in a, in a, in a cataclysmic you know, meeting um, quite far from here. It's, it also took, why does it take 100 years to discover them after they were predicted? Because the, the effect on, on matter in the Earth is really minuscule. So um, our mirrors, which are four kilometers apart, um, there's two arms, each four kilometers long, the distances among those mirrors changes by a, a, a thousandth of the diameter of a proton um, when, when, a, when a gravitational wave, a big one like that, comes through. Um, and so that's, um, that's why it took so long. Um, and so we're measuring length. Um, we're measuring the, basically the length between two mirrors as measured by light. Um, so we're using light, but, but that's not really, we're not detecting light. We're, we're detecting a change in the shape of space-time from a gravitational wave very, very far away as it passes through the Earth on the way past us. And, and so what is this telling us about the universe in, in lay terms? The significance, I guess, right? Yeah, so, so we are, the O in LIGO is observatory. And so, so the first time we saw, we were, we were basically observing for the first time a physical phenomenon. So that was, you can think of the first time was a physics. And then, then we sort of flopped over to being astrophysics. So, so now, now we're seeing actual objects out there to learn about them, learn about the sources themselves. And also, it also coincidentally, we we're also able to learn things about general relativity, Einstein's theory of gravity, which is what predicts gravitational waves. As time goes by, we're, we're measuring these things in greater detail. We're making improvements um, every year or two. We, we, inter we introduce more improvements to the detector to make it more sensitive. We can see things in greater detail, and we can see a lot more events. So I, at the time of the discovery, um, I'd been in the field for 30 years, and, um, and we hadn't seen a darn thing. Um, and then in, 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 um, in 2015, we saw one, and then two, and then three, and now we have dozens and dozens of them. We, we, when we run now, um, we can see about one, a little bit more than one per week. Next year, it'll be even better than that. And, and is that because the technology well, yeah. has improved, not because no, the technology has improved. There. And so one right. of the funny things is, is um, if you look twice as far out into space, um, you see in principle eight times as many events because there's eight times the volume if you look twice as far out. And so when we make improvements to LIGO, we're we're sampling an enormously more, enormously larger area in space with, uh, with relatively modest improvements. It, the word modest is really probably I shouldn't say that because it. These things, these improvements cost millions of dollars, and the work of of some of the most clever people I know, you know, who who who, who devote their lives to this. And that's probably an understatement. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Joe Giami of LIGO and Connor LeBlanc of Project Zenith 360. Connor, speaking of technology, do you all at 360, do you develop the technology or do you apply it and put together systems that will work to provide the, the services or the content you're trying to generate for your people, clients? Right. 
yeah so so actually developing our own um our own hardware and software is in the pipeline that is eventually where we would like to be um because we understand that having to rely on other people's cameras other people's software ultimately it's going to limit uh where we can go with this but for the time being um we've taken kind of what i consider to be like the android approach to doing immersive content uh, they have a large incumbent in this industry called matterport um any real estate developers or anyone who does virtual tours are probably familiar with this company uh, they have a really sophisticated camera system that not only takes visual data uh, in these panoramic photos, but also does uh, spatial data. So they have a LiDAR built into it. It's a really impressive piece of equipment, but ultimately, if you go with that company, you're kind of uh, pigeonholed into their hardware and their software. So you basically have to rely entirely on them. What we do is we went out and got third-party software, third-party hardware, kind of put a bunch of things together, and we're a service provider. So we basically take all these different pieces, put them together, and then provide this service. Um, it's still very time consuming. It's still quite a niche market. And there are very few people that actually understand how all these pieces fit together. So we're definitely developing a bit of an expertise in the area. And being able to eventually one day automate a lot of these processes and uh, take a lot of the guesswork out of um, out of the processes is, I think, where we want to go eventually. So we do want to make our own cameras. We want to make our own software. We want to be able to do our own thing. Uh, but that just that those kind of things take time and money. So uh, I think it's best first to get an understanding of the technology, get an understanding of how all these things fit together, and then uh, when the time's right, we're gonna we're gonna make that jump. Excellent, Joe. Um, tell me, um, are, were you part of the team that that won the Nobel Prize? I mean, can you claim it? <laughs> no, no. Um, the three the three winners um, were the, essentially the found. Sometimes we refer to them as the founders. I mean, there's a lot of founders, but um, the, the the Nobel people don't give a prize to more than three people at a time, and they made a fine choice. Um, so one of them was my thesis advisor at MIT way back when, um, Ryan Weiss, um, and then Kip Thorne. Um, uh, Ryan Weiss was the sort of the the ultimate experimenter and builder of things, and and Kip Thorne is is a, is a famous theorist, a gravitational gravitational theorist, um, and uh, he he's the one that kind of motivated that from from what we would learn that side of things, um, and also did some critical calculations to building it. Um, and Barry Barish was the director of of the LIGO Lab, kind of the the organization that that made it happen. Um, uh, during during the critical time of the, of the development, so the three of them kind of represent a nice triangle of competence um, that got us to the got us to where we are now. So so y'all are an observatory, and your sister observatory in Washington State, and then there are two research facilities, and all four of you sort of work together as one library. Yeah, right? I mean it gets bigger than that even. So MIT and Caltech are are the are the um, are the universities that that are are the that run the LIGO lab um, and um, the two observatories plus those two campus sites. In addition, we, we closely collaborate with another gravitational wave detector in, in, in Europe, in Italy actually called Virgo. Um, and so most the last, the last several science runs we've been running with them. And that's a big deal because when you have three detectors looking at the sky at the same time, you can pinpoint on the sky reasonably well where the source is coming from so other astronomers can follow up. Um, and that happened sort of most famously um, when we saw for the first time two neutron stars um, merge together. Before that, we'd only seen black holes. So two neutron stars merged together. Now, neutron stars aren't 
aren't like black holes. They allow light to escape. Um, and so other astronomers of all stripes, both optical astronomers, gamma ray astronomers with, with, with satellites, um, ultraviolet, infrared, even radio waves were able to look once once we, they figured out exactly which galaxy this thing was in and, and, and observe at the same time. And there's a buzzword for that. It's called multi-messenger astronomy. You study the same object in a whole bunch of different ways. That was only possible because there were three detectors on, on the sky at the same time. But like, could, it, could a naked eye, a visitor to your observatory, look through something and actually see a star billions of light years away in space, like like you could through a Hubble telescope, or is this more of a specialist kind of thing? It may, honestly, since 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 you're in radio, it might be you, what you would do is you would put on headphones, right? And 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 you and, and the output of our detector is in the audio band. You could hear the output of our detector. Most of the time, it just sounds like <laughs> because it's noise, you know, and 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 very 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 quiet noise, but noise. And then when, it, when a signal comes in, there's a particular waveform that shows up, um, set a family of waveforms that show up on all, all of the detectors that are observing. And then by, by analyzing in detail the relationship between those signals, you can figure out or limit where in the sky the signal is coming from. Um, and, um, and so that's, um, that's kind of neat, actually, because it's, it's, it's when, when um, um, you know, when I give popular talks, I, I locally anyway, I, I bring my subwoofer with me and I set it up in, in, in the room and then I can play the sound um, of, 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 uh, of the detector, of the big detections. Fantastic. And, and I love that, that LSU is a part of this. And Connor, you all were born, you know, at, at LSU. Um, tell me how you and your and your co-owners, colleagues, friends came up with the idea for this company, I mean, were y'all talking about this in, as undergraduates? Um, not no, not as undergraduates. So, little background: I did undergrad at LSU, but then I did uh, I went to law school at LSU. So I did three I did three years of LSU law school, and then I did the JD MBA program. So I uh, I did a year of I got my year of MBA, and while I was studying in the MBA program, y'all everyone declares a specialization, and I declared mine in entrepreneurship. And so I started taking some entrepreneurship courses and um, and that's kind of whenever I developed the idea, you know, I want to start a I want to start a business because I, I, I was kind of getting a little bit disenchanted with the idea of being a practicing attorney. I'm, I'm a barred attorney. I, I could practice law in the state of Louisiana, but um, but I was always drawn towards technology and uh, the law evolves very slowly and uh, cool things like what Joe's working with evolves very quickly. And so, you know, I kind of think that there is a way to. Um, Kind of bridge the gaps there and so I, I think being able to work with businesses by making kind of ambitious technology accessible to them is sort of where the idea came from i originally just bought a, a 360 gopro and started going out and filming things in 360 and i realized quickly that that is a difficult thing to do no one knows how 360 cameras work and it requires a lot of time and effort to figure out how how it all fits together. Um, and then so once I got good with that, we said, you know, we could probably start a business with this. And then so I got two of my best friends, uh, Cameron DeHaan, who's a mechanical engineer at LSU, and my childhood best friend, uh, Nick Garisco, who's an MBA student. And uh, we basically came together, decided that we're going to start doing uh, virtual tours for real estate agents. That was the original idea. And then it just kind of grew into hospitality, tourism, um, and then just immersive experiences in general. So, uh, 
so yeah, I mean, long story short, it, it wasn't really, um, it wasn't really conceived back then, but whenever COVID happened, uh, we saw a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous need for people to have these kind of immersive experiences and particularly businesses, you know, uh, businesses have struggled a lot and, um, a lot of them don't even know that technology like this is available for them to use. So the hard part, you know, A, has been figuring out how to provide the services and B, and what we're doing now that our processes are established is just getting in front of businesses and getting out there and convincing them and, um, you know, basically pitching to them on the idea of, you know, if you, if you had a virtual tour of, you know, whatever you do and you can maximize online engagement, you know, that'll, that'll most directly correlate to people going in physically once things start opening back up and things like that. Absolutely. And you've seen so many more virtual tours, you know, that kind of immersive content just in the past few months. Even institutions like LIGO. I mean, you know, y'all have a, y'all have a, um, like a community outreach area that I know probably slowed down a little bit during COVID. I mean, just being able to show people a virtual tour through all of y'all's different experiments. I mean, even something simple like that, you know, I think has a place. Y'all don't have that, do you, Joe? Yeah, we, we have, um, we have a science education center here and they are delivering, they're, de they're delivering you know, on a daily basis, virtual interactions with most, 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 the thing we're most proud of is, is, um, groups from schools bring their classes here. And, and we're doing that remotely now. It's not gonna be the same. I mean, we have a lot of hands-on stuff. That's that's kind of our thing, is hands-on hands -on stuff. And we, we really look forward to going back to that. But yeah, every day there's people walking by with, you know, with a gimbal mounted camera showing people around. <laughs> Are, is it hard to convince people, to scientists and researchers to move here uh, Joe, or is there, you know, is LIGO such a unique facility that, that they, they want to come? I think in terms of staffing a site, most people here aren't PhD scientists. Most people here are engineers, technicians, detector operators, IT people, a wide variety of folks. In physics, we have this goofy name for it, the two-body problem, because it's there's a physics two-body problem when two objects are in orbit around each other. Um, and, and, and so often you have a, a couple where, where one person just has to work in San Francisco because that's the only place that's hiring people who do what they do or something like that, that we do face that issue sometimes. Connor, in your field, I mean, is the IT support there um, and, and the technological know-how to help your company grow? Yeah, that's actually been the biggest pain point for us recently. Um, you know, whenever you think of a booming tech hub, Baton Rouge typically isn't what comes to mind. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of interest around places like Austin, Texas right now, you know, and there's a lot of similarities between Austin and Texas. I mean, Austin and Baton Rouge, you know, state capital, uh, flagship university, a lot of a um, lot of, you know, uh, diversity being brought in. But the problem is a lot of people who are the most talented coming out of LSU typically leave the state. And that's an issue for us, you know, because, um, you know, I definitely see. I see the talent that's coming out of, uh, that's coming, the technical talent that's coming out of LSU. I'm just trying to make as much noise as I can. You know, I've been yelling from the rooftops, you know, basically saying, hey, I'm trying to start a tech company. Um, you know, I want young, ambitious, uh, technically savvy people to come here. So right now we're looking for uh, uh, basically like a senior developer, someone who can help us kind of start uh, getting that moved along and also graphic designers, things like that. So, uh, so to answer your question, um, 
I think there is the talent here in Baton Rouge. The, the struggle is getting them to stay and really getting them to someone, the right person or the right people um, to take a shot on a young, on a startup. You know, that, that's always a tough sell because everyone wants to go work for the large firm. But, uh, but I have a lot of confidence in what we're going to be doing into the future. And I think that there's so much potential in Louisiana for the, for the services that we provide, particularly with things like tourism, uh, things like that. You know, there's a lot of need here for our services and no one's really filling that need uh, just yet. So. Well, Connor LeBlanc and Joe Giami, I wish I had more time to talk to you both because you both are helping us to see and understand the world in new ways. And it's exciting and so interesting to know this type of work and technology is available here and going on in our own backyard. So thank you both so much for taking time today to join me on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Joe Giami of LIGO and Connor LeBlanc of Project Zenith 360. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about LIGO and Project Zenith 360 by listening to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Photos are taken by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. We're going to go back to hosting Out to Lunch around the lunch table at Mansers on the Boulevard soon. In the meantime, you can go there. Mansers is open seven days a week for lunch and dinner. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.